Hello Modern Mystics. Spells for the Modern Mystic, a ritual guidebook and spellcasting kit, is coming out on September 29th and is available wherever books are sold. Brandon and I have created a book and kit with the essentials for a complete ritual practice, including 25 spells for healing, wealth, love, and personal transformation. It also comes with 11 spell candles, three incense cones, and ritual oil. So you can do all of the rituals in the book with the contents and additional household items. We poured our hearts into the book and shared all of the rituals that I used to help me find my soulmate, Brandon. I used these rituals to open Modern Mystic Shop, to get our dream home, and to quickly raise money to be able to get our inventory for Good Morning America. These rituals have changed our lives, and we know they can do the same for you. So please support us by placing a pre-order today and help us get on the best sellers list so we can help impact even more people with these practices. Thanks so much, guys. This has been a long time coming. We've been working on this project for, for quite a while, and it's so exciting to finally to be able to officially share it with our community and um, officially share it with the world, literally the world. This We're so blessed that this book is actually going to be printed in five different countries. Um, and if you would have told me a few years ago that HarperCollins, like this, you know, big time publisher Christian would... Publisher. Oh, they have some Christian. Yeah. I think it's owned by Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, really? It's very, very right wing. <laughs> like, I can't believe that they're publishing a book of spells. And it just, the thing that I've learned is like, you can actually infiltrate the system and use the system to, in a way, to kind of uh, promote your thoughts when you're a thought leader. And so you can kind of, that's, I feel like that's kind of where we fell into that, uh, that process. But what do you want to say for to start? No, I, I'm just really grateful that um, that we have the opportunity to present this material to the world. I think that um, there are some things that makes this material unique to us as far as spell books are concerned and some of the publications that are out there. You're going to hear about some of those today, um, but I'm excited. I, I think that this material has potential to change people's lives, so I'm, I'm really happy that, um, that we could partner with somebody like Harper and, and do our thing together as a couple to uh, present this material that's changed our lives you know, in the process. We'll be talking about that today. So. I think one other thing I'd like to add is um, it was so cool that we got to do this together. I think that this book and everything to do with it is like such a melding of both of our interests and talents and skills. And I feel like uh, that was really part of the most special part of the experience actually for me was if I would have had to do this by myself, I don't think I would have gotten um, as much out of the experience. And I know for sure the product wouldn't be as good. The book wouldn't be as good without both of us. Yeah, I agree with that. Totally. I, there, there's no way that, um, that the information would have even been readable if Kelly hadn't stepped in. I'm mean, <laughs> <laughs> over here trying to put Pythagorean's theorem down on paper or something. And, and she's like that nobody's going to understand that. So she just takes it and puts it in a really beautiful approachable voice. And uh, some of the intuitive hits that she got throughout the book are just amazing. And, and um, they're, they're going to change people's lives for sure. So I, the input from both of us just made a, a really good cohesion. It, it was really awesome to write a book together. So. All right, let's get into it. You want to get into it? Yeah, let's do it.
Oh, I'm going to click the button. There we go. Okay, so we just want to go into today, we're going to talk mainly about spells and ritual work. And from our perspective, why they work, why this is such a great tool for transformation, how rituals work, and the key components. And then we're going to sprinkle in some uh, personal stories, because I always love to lead with the fact that everything in this book we actually practice. This isn't something that we say like, oh, this is what you should be doing. When I made a wealth altar for this book, it was the spell that, the altar that we put in the book. When I'm doing my ritual work, I'm doing one of these rituals, the ancestor altar, the way we clear space, all of it. And so I love to share my personal experiences and our personal experiences with this work, because I think that's what makes it true and genuine and then we can be sort of an example of of how you can actually use these techniques to push it forward but we also wanted you to understand why because sometimes the mind um doesn't necessarily attach to the magic and it's helpful to understand why we put the processes in that we do and how it works so that you know what you're up against uh when you're proceeding with this kind of work yeah uh, it's really important i the, the title of the screen that we have up right now for those on the podcast is why use spells for transformation. And um, the reason why spells are probably one of the best solo platforms period to use for, for transformation work and for challenging programming inside and for unwinding the self is because the very basis of where it begins is the self. It's the psychology of the self, um, the intricate ways in which we work, the identities in which we, we view our reality from and how we project on it. Spellwork's going to address all of that if you use spellwork properly. And so that the very first place that I take people when I do my course is um, projections and programming. And we start to unpack that and look at it and what in each individual's um, projections of programming are and what identities they use to get by, to receive love, to, to, um, to make it in the world and to relate to other people. Um, because we all have our masks that we put on and we all have our masks that we use for certain purposes. Some of them serve us really well and help us evolve. Some of them hold us back and keep us small. You got to take inventory of that if you want your spell work to be what it really needs to be. Um, because when you ask for something, you got to know who's asking for it, in what way, what kind of power you're using. And if you're asking from the little teenager, little boy inside like me, right, sometimes, then you, you aren't going to have a powerful response from the environment. You need to step up with a lot of authority have a lot of introspection, have a lot of, of things going on where you have tools available to you to unpack the self before you ever even approach a spell would be nice. But in the midst of doing a spell, if you do it properly, it helps you start to unpack that. And so it's really great solo practice for unpacking the self. And I call it, <clears throat> excuse me, a psycho spiritual practice because we do, at least with our methodology, we do take into account the psyche a lot. And we do use this as a tool to like what Brandon was saying, clear out all of the subconscious and unconscious beliefs uh, so that you can actually be not all of them. It's a life's work, right? But you can start to sort of jump the conscious mind and then actually dig in. Um, to a, a flow state or a place of uh, where you can actually reach out beyond yourself. So Brandon, why don't we go into the three reasons why we really love uh, to use spells for transformation. The first one, can you talk about conscious creation? Sure. Conscious creation versus unconscious creation. If you want to put it next to what you're, what you're not supposed to do with your life. Unconscious creation is what we always do. It's something in American culture. It's very common. 
you know, um, we, we may have a very directed focus, say, for instance, if you're an architect to build a building or if you're an engineer to build a bridge or, you know, if you're a writer to write a book. But and that can be a little bit of conscious creation there. But you're still coming from a lot of places inside that you aren't aware of that create your life and your relationships and how um, different things unfold with the psyche when it comes to business and your job and the energy of money and and different things like that and love and all those things are wrapped up around the unconscious part of ourselves really, really heavily. Um, so it doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how, how much training you've had in a particular area of life. If you haven't started to really study the unconscious and really move through that and start to make the, the very conscious effort to create your life differently as opposed from, the, from that spot and really study what that is, then you're really just being thrown by the ways of life, as I like to put it, you know, like um, you, you, a lot of people see patterns in their life where they keep on marrying the same person over and over again or different things like that. In fact, one of the best quotes I have about all that's from our book in the beginning mm -hmm. it says, um, first ritual gives people the ability to create the reality consciously rather than let their unconscious mind steer them along. In other words, more often than not, most people allow their beliefs, traumas, and conditioned responses to inform the experience they have of life. With ritual, conscious desires are brought into focus. The ritual itself, which often includes self-hypnosis and imaginative visual visualizations, bypasses the self-sabotaging nature of the unconscious mind and changes one's beliefs. So, and if you want a more famous quote, <laughs> the one from our book, um, one of my favorite quotes is by Jung or Jung, I don't know, Jung, Jung, yeah. um, which is, until you make your unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. And that's so many times where we're like, oh, it's a sign or, oh, it's a synchronicity. And he actually teaches a lot about the psychology of synchronicities. But really, a lot of those times, if you don't have that conscious direction of your desires, you're actually just recapitulating or recreating something from a more uh, trained place. But then our psyche wants to categorize it as a synchronicity or a sign or a miracle. Um, so that's why with the use of spell work, it helps so much to get very clear on who is directing the, the movement or the ritual and where you're looking to go. So, I mean, a tool that I use, I don't know if, um, if you guys are into it, but I love tarot. So I really love to um, incorporate tarot into the conscious creation process of ritual. We don't actually cover that part in the book, but you can very easily pull a tarot spread to say, um, what is the highest outcome of this ritual? What identity is trying to get in the way, you know, and, and maybe like, what is the, my truest desire? And you can sort of use those, that sort of inquiry to kind of step outside of your conscious mind to give you a deeper layer. Um, or you can even say like, uh, or another way to do it through tarot would be like, figure out without tarot what it is that you want to do or what how you want to direct your desire or energy and then pull a card to say what is the outcome of this ritual as I'm approaching it and that will give you an understanding of like oh I my target might be off a little bit and it's really important to be as on target as possible because if you think about you're reaching out to the astral so imagine like if you're pulling a bow and arrow and you're going a very far distance if you're like one degree off, you're, it, it does actually put the whole thing in a, in a slightly different direction. And the further off you, the further away you get, the more impact that one degree is going to make. So we love to use other tools, I would say, to help assist with the conscious creation process.
Yes, I, I think that divination is essential. If you aren't a tarot reader yourself, then get a reading before doing like a major ritual. You know, that's always a great thing. Um, or, um, or some other part of divination. And what that does is, once again, you start to, at the very beginning of, of the ritual, start to uh, kind of bypass the conscious mind and start to go um, to a place where um, you start to see how the unconscious is guiding things and then you can pivot. You know, if the if my truest desire is something, if I pull the tarot spread, just like what Kelly said, my truest desire is different than what I thought, right? Then I need to do some some introspection work and really search that out and say, okay, what do I really want? Because there's something inside that's asking for something that I really don't need. And so, or I'm not going to have my whole heart behind when I do the ritual. Mm -hmm. And so that's really important. You got to have full commitment in ritual. It's one of the most important things. That's the part of consciously deciding to go a direction. No matter what my programming is, no matter where I'm at, I want to trance out my mind and consciously create something from a spot of power. Mm -hmm. Right. And so in order to do that, you got to have an understanding of what the map looks like on the inner. And sometimes divination can really help with that. Do you want to talk about multidimensional or go into that? Can I start with that one? Yeah, yeah, go for it. So the way that I love to use ritual, we call it multidimensional experiences, but the best way that I can explain it is it, it ritual and spell work is a bridge between the astral and the physical world. And so it's a way to align and sort of reach out into the unseen realms and pull it in to your physical reality. And we do that in so many ways. Uh, that's why a lot in our rituals, we use candles as an effigy because that's a way to, to physically represent some of these energies and desires and blocks. We often in our book a lot, or in our ritual work a lot, we use seals, sigils, and magic squares because that's a way to reach out into the massive energy of the astral. So something like the planet Jupiter or the energy of Mars or to align with a deity or an angel that's so unfathomable that a hard time with that. I need to come up with another word because I've been doing interviews and trying to use that word but it's so massive that it's hard to actually contain it within our psyche and and within our physical space so we use these science these sigils and seals to anchor that energy into the 3d we use our our sound current and our voice as the mantra to reach into the astral and energetically align, um, which is why we, you know, a lot of times in ritual, we will literally sing an angel's name because singing is the best way to unlock those energies and actually match their frequency. And so you can have really interesting multi-dimensional experiences of yourself as you are in that self-hypnosis process and as you sort of reach out into the unseen realms and and pull it into the 3d physical experience and um and I love that because a lot of people and a lot of our customers are asking for those intuitive multi-dimensional experiences and sometimes it's hard to know how to do it and luckily you know through ritual you actually have the steps in place that's like a key to unlock the door to that aspect of yourself and those aspects of of the unseen realms how, how, how would you say it yeah and you know go back to our core thing on this slide why you spell some transformation right and when you have a multi-dimensional experience what we're talking about is encountering um energy that's contained in the universe and there's very little studies to talk about how humans you know, actually subconsciously and imaginatively and thoughtfully um, encounter cosmic forces like the sun, 
you know, or, or Jupiter, or, you know, um, deities that have been around and born from the human experience over time and millennia from the earth and, and all, all the things that are contained right beyond um, the, the three dimensional sight and, and five and five senses. Um, and so those things, once we start to encounter them, you can use them heavily for transformation for many reasons. But one of the reasons why is because when you encounter a, a cosmic force or when you encounter an energy, you know, in the astral plane, then what it does is it teaches the body, the, the unconscious and the conscious mind in very subtle ways. And so you'll start to feel more godlike the more you call on angels. You start to feel more powerful the more you call on um, demons who have mastery over the earth. You start to feel more in yourself, right? The, the more you contact different kinds of, and make relationships with different kinds of powers and energies that are contained in, in the universe and in our, our galaxy. And so that starts to put you into a multidimensional uh, space where you start to become more like other things other than just being human starts to energetically change you. And so that really upgrades and helps you transform your inner, mm. right? Because once you encounter real power, like when you, when you really encounter power in a ritual, and you'll feel it if you ever do a ritual like with full commitment and you follow like really good steps from a ritual that has a good setup, you'll start to feel power for the first time in your life. You've never done one like that before. And when you encounter that power, it does all kinds of things to your inner. It starts to give you an idea of the opposite of what you've experienced on the planet. So say, for instance, from the time you're little, you've been taught all kinds of ways to be small, to be powerless, to not claim your life, to um, stay stuck in the same old programming, to not not go into the introspection, right? Because there's a lot of trauma there. Sometimes we get afraid. If you start to feel more powerful on a consistent basis through ritual, then you are more likely to start to address those things. You're more likely to start to turn around and say, wait a minute, I've got a lot of stuff to dig up here because when I encounter power, I feel how unpowerful I've been programmed to be, you know, in my conscious life. My ritual right now, I'm feeling really strong because I'm encountering this energy. But in my, in my life and day to day, I feel very unpowerful. And so the more you do ritual, the more you carry that into your day to day the more you start to um, start to unpack all that more readily because you have something to define it, to bump up against, if that makes sense. So it's a really, really great tool for transformation for that reason too. And how does it uh, challenge programming, which is our third point? Yes. So challenging programming goes along the same lines of what I was talking about and what multidimensional experiences do for us. When you start to encounter um, altered states and you start to encounter places of power inside that are your power and that, um, the reflections of that power on the outside through cosmic entities and things like that. When all that starts to unpack, then it, it forces you to take a look at yourself differently. You start to start to understand, wow, I can really embody power. I can really embody um, desire in a way that doesn't have shame, right? I can start to reach for what I want in life and satiate these desires in a way that, um, that has um, consciousness behind it. And, and I have more will and I'm able to encounter my spiritual authority a little bit more. And so, all of us in the West, anyway, that I've encountered, hardly anybody knows what a really depth spiritual practice looks like. You know, it's the reason why I started my classes because, I, and I'm not knocking yoga or meditation or anything. I think those are great. But the problem is that they're not complete because they don't allow for a conscious multidimensional experience in a way that has a, um, a really structured platform that is... Um, that addresses all the different areas that's needed to contact the astral properly and in a conscious, conscious way. A lot of it is very free flowing in those, in those things. So you need something that consciously allows you to embark out like you're going out to sea on a ship, right? And that you're, you're part of it and you're, and you're the captain, you're the head. And that way you start to engage power in a way that you don't in the other practices. 
And so ritual um, is needed for that. It's needed to challenge the programming when it comes to desire, consciously moving through desire and consciously working through power and the aspects of the self that keep that are made to seem small or not good enough. Um, and everybody has not good enough. It doesn't matter how rich you are or where you're at. We all have not good enough in pockets in our lives and um, everybody experiences that. And so those need to be challenged if you want to evolve. Those are, those are like limit breakers. They, they create limiting beliefs and you can't get by them until you address them. And so um, this goes at that very directly, ritual does. Well, also because a lot of it, you know, a part of it, and we'll get into what alchemy is, but part of that alchemy that we engage with ritual is actually confronting, that's part of what we do, is you actually confront the polarity of what you want and you actually get in touch with the depths Anne of Green Gables style, the depths of despair <laughs> um, and the, the the sadness or the depression or the lethargy or all of this, um, for instance, in addition to the polarity of that, which is often, you know, what we want. And we actually work through the programming and feeling and transmuting. We don't avoid it. We actually, you actually through, through ritual are guided through those places to come out the other side. You're not circumventing it. You're actually experiencing and releasing it. Yes, it's true. You can experience great catharsis in ritual. In fact, it, if you do ritual properly, you will. You'll, you'll experience immense catharsis. Some people kick, scream, cry, shake during ritual if they do it right. You do it full commitment, a lot of emotional energy behind it. And catharsis is really, really uh, an essential part of the process, I would say, in ritual. Um, because it creates and generates energy, but also once you're done with catharsis, then there's this, this um, space inside that's a little bit more clear, and you're able to reach more areas of yourself, and you're able to see where you're programmed a little bit more. And so um, that, that's another aspect to it. There's so many different aspects to it. We spent a long time just on, on these three um, things that that uh, that makes uh, using spells for transformation really legitimate conscious creation multi-dimensional experiences and how it challenges programming does anyone have any questions before we move on to the next topic it's okay if we don't I just wanted to offer okay cool so I just want to read the definition of a spell so Brendan and I often use the word spell and ritual interchangeably, but for this case, we're just going to focus on, they're very similar. I'm going to read the, the definition of spell and then um, we can move on from there. So a spell is a ceremony consisting of an intentional series of steps that are treated with reverence that focuses energy towards a desired outcome. So that's how we define spell. Ritual is almost an identical um, uh, definition except for um, we find that usually it's just a little bit less specific in the focus of the energy towards the desired outcome there are many things that we can do in the book like some of these altar buildings and stuff like that that are still ceremonies and intentions that are treated with reverence but it's not so much of a direct like um, uh, motive is why, of why you're doing it. Huh? Yeah, ritual is a little bit more of an open format, in other words. Yeah. You yeah. know, they're, they're, when you do a ritual, you're like, I'm doing this for the sake of doing the ritual. You know, a lot of times. Uh, whatever the outcome is, is cool. I'm just doing a ritual, right? Um, spell, on the other hand, you have a very planned outcome. You have something that you're really hitting. You're shooting for a target. Um, ritual uh, is the basis of that. It's the foundation because the, the, the ceremony and the steps that you hold sacred and the way that you maneuver around all that is what builds the energy. 
right? And then in spell work, you actually have a place to put the energy. In ritual work, it goes out wherever it's meant to be. You surrender to the flow. It's more shamanic, right? And so that that would be the difference between them. So do you want me to tell my story before yeah, we get to that? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to stop sharing just so that you can see us as opposed to seeing the, uh, the screen. Okay, so I'm going to tell you an unbelievable story that is, well, I mean, I think it's unbelievable, uh, about how I used ritual to have a massive and a very cool outcome. And then what we're going to do is we're going to then break it down into what we we define as the five essential elements of ritual. And so I'm going to tell you the story first, and then we're going to go through the story to say, okay, that's an illustration of this point, this point, and this point. So we were on um, Good Morning America, uh, December 17th of 2000. 19? <laughs> 19. And um, in order for us to commit to that opportunity, they were promoting our um, water bottles with crystals in them. We had to come up with in a very short amount of time an obscene amount of money and uh, tens and tens and tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars that if we were to have, you know, spent our own money doing it, we would have been down basically to zero and had no money for Christmas shopping uh, for our inventory. And so I did all of the practical magic that you could do. Um, I did all of the outreach. I asked the banks, I which it wasn't working out with because it was such a small turnaround. I reached out to friends, to family, every which way that I could figure out how we were going to get the money to buy the inventory to be on Good Morning America. And I looked down at my phone because I was trying to count how many days I had left to get the money. It was one, it was one more day. And I saw that the session, the, the appearance was going to be on December 17th. And when I looked at my calendar, it says, it said grandpa's birthday. And it reminded me, oh my gosh, this is grandpa, I call him grandpa meatball. This is grandpa meatball's birthday. And he is the primary fixture on my ancestor altar. So I walked over to my altar and I sat in front of grandpa meatball and grandma Hagen, but I was really talking to him <laughs> this time. And I said, grandpa meatball, if we are meant to have our products featured on Good Morning America on your birthday, I need you to make it happen for me. I have done all that I can. I have 24 hours left. There is nothing, there's no other resource I have. So I'm gonna let this go and it's all on you. So I had a chat telepathically with Grandpa Meatball. I went to get a massage at my friend's massage studio and she greeted me and she's like, hey, how are you doing? And I said, oh, just trying to make, you know, tens of thousands of dollars fall out of the air, but I'm doing fine. I go into my appointment with one of her employees and then she goes in with her client. And an hour later we come back out and she grabs me and she says, my client wants to give you the money. And I was like, what? I had no idea who this woman was. She comes out a few minutes later and she's like, hey, um, I'm actually a customer of your store. We've never met. I ha I, Christine told me about your opportunity. I have all this money sitting in the bank and I have been waiting to offer it just to help a, a business owner, a female business owner. She's like, that's what I wanted to use this money for. And um, I, I wanna give you the money. And I was like, seriously? She said, seriously. And then that happened. So she wasn't full of shit. Like this woman who I had never personally met within probably an hour and a half of me asking my grandfather for the money showed up and gave me the money so that we could 
actually, someone said they're getting chills, so that we could actually take advantage of this opportunity. And so I just know that this stuff can really work. We have a whole chapter about ancestors in our book, and we teach you how to set up and to create this ancestral experience to open the gates and create what I like to call energy links with these, with these um, ancestors because they really are here to help. And so I think that this actually portrays, and I'll let Brandon go through, um, <laughs> I can let Brandon go through each of what we call the essentials to ritual and how I applied it through this experience. And I have to say, I have so many, so many personal examples like this. And the reason why I do this work, and you can ask Kirsten, I'm very efficient, I want results, and that's what these rituals do. If they didn't, trust me, I would not be wasting my time. I would find something else that worked, but this works for me. Um, and so I'll share the screen again so that we can get into the, um, oh wait, maybe it won't. So we can get into the, um, there we go. So we can get into the five essential elements. Let's see Well, I thought we were going to. There we go. All right, so we'll start. Um, okay, Brandon, let's start with number one, connection. So in my example, how did we use the essential element of connection? So in your example, the, the first thing that you did was you built an altar, right? And, and so in, in ritual, one of the things that you got to do is you got to learn what it is to connect on a level that is deeper than what you normally would, like say, for instance, to your boss or even to a friend. Um, it can start to mimic it a little bit in, in a love relationship but you've got to have, um, um, and, and you can start to apply this so that your friendships and, and your loved ones can experience, you can experience this kind of connection with them, but you've got to have a conscious movement toward connection. And you've got to start doing practices, and we have some of these outlined in our book, but you've got to start doing practices that allow you to connect more. Meditation's a good one, um, where you drop in, allow the mind to float, and you start to just really connect with the self in a way that that you haven't before because you haven't tuned out everything before. And so you, you got to have put yourself in different sensory experiences to start to learn how to connect better and deeper. Ritual can take you there if you just want to jump right in. It starts to alter your mind. It starts to alter who and, and how things are. And so in, in Kelly's case, um, the way that, it, that you start to alter your sense of connection is you start to set up an altar where you anchor the energy of your very bloodline in a physical space. And what that does is it starts to open up a different experience of the space, right? Every time you see the altar, the subconscious and the conscious mind reacts to having like an ancestral altar where you know you have a gateway or you believe you have a gateway to greater communication and greater connection to those in your bloodline that are there to help you out and help you transform. And so her sense of connection is up and heightened. She'd been maintaining this altar for a while before this, this started coming in like this and she started seeing results like this. She had it maintained where the kind of connection that she had and the energetic links that she had and exchange she had offered up a lot more greater detail. She was able to communicate with uh, Grandpa Meatball in a very <laughs> direct way. And in a way that allowed her to to receive and get information and also give gratitude and give information back. So there was a good energy exchange starting to be established in the astral, right, with her bloodline. So connection is the very first thing that you have to have. That's where all of our magic comes from as human beings. And you have to engage in that in ritual. So you have to connect to yourself more deeply, your environment more deeply, and the astral more deeply. And so she started to do all that by her actions. And then the next uh, essential element we have is energy. 
she raised the energy by maintaining the altar and by, you know, really doing, taking the time and doing the work to keep the, the candles lit on it, to keep it warm, in other words, as we put it, on an ancestral altar, to allow herself, she, she took the time to meditate in front of it and to take great care of it and to keep it clean. And she, she, she raised energy subtly doing it by that way over time. A lot of times in rituals, what you'll have is a one-off. You'll have like maybe an altar maintains some energy there, but then you'll really raise the energy through mantra or through dancing or whatnot. But because she'd been maintaining this altar for quite some time, this was a, you could view it as a drawn out ritual. She's been raising in the energy for quite some time. <clears throat> and I would say about the energy, and I don't know if this is actually what happened, but what it feels like happened to me was every time I was tending to it, meditating in front of it, creating that relationship, it felt like I was almost putting like little deposits in a bank account. And then when I needed something like instantly, it felt like the funds or the energy was there to withdraw. Now, I'm not saying that then I had to rebuild it. I don't know if it really works that transactionally because we do talk about the spirit world being transactional. But in retrospect, when I um, think about it, it kind of feels like that. It's like I put in the investment so then I can have my rainy day fund. So when I needed a miracle, it wasn't, it was, it was accessible to me. How, what would you say? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, everything in the spiritual world is the same way as our world. It all reflects the three-dimensional aspect, right? And so um, everything is about relationship and connection. And so if you don't establish relationship, it's like me asking a stranger for a thousand dollars. Why would they give it to me? They don't know where I live. They don't know who I am or if I'm, you know, trustworthy to, to pay it back, you know, or, or even something more intimate than that. If I ask them to borrow their car or something like that, that's what it's like just approaching spirit world and just up and, you know, asking for everything. I want a million dollars. I want, I want a house. I want all these things. And you haven't developed any relationships yet with cosmic energies. And they don't even have to be personified. You know, the relationship can be totally on your end where you're just developing a relationship with a planet like Jupiter, you know, become more wealthy. And in that, the planet has an intelligence, yes, but you don't have to put that intelligence on it if you don't want to in your mind. All you have to do is deeply connect with it from yourself, right? And that, and that relationship is established. And so, um, and that builds the energy. So connection leads to building energy automatically, but you can heighten that. And Kelly definitely did that through her care and time um, and the way that she did that. Um, alchemy, she, she definitely experienced the, the lack. Can you just define alchemy for people? Yes. So alchemy is just simply the process to change from one element to another. And so <clears throat> a lot of times it's, it's either a polar opposite or something that it could never be on its own without help. And so alchemy is the process of, of maybe um, the, the old philosopher's stone, you know, uh, myth around changing, um, what is it, um, uh, lead to gold. Right. And so that's a process of alchemy. That's a mythical process of alchemy. But there's definitely like real parts of alchemy, like what we experienced in Kelly's story, where she she went through and she she experienced all the lack. She went to all of the three dimensional aspects that she knew to, to suss out and to really get this money in time. And it was the day before and um, the, the deadline to get the money. And so she, she almost had like, um, I wouldn't say a sense of desperation, but an, a sense of urgency that was really there and almost like a surrender. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm in the, the, the deep here. I'm, I'm in a lot of lack. I don't know what to do. And so I'm just going to reach out to my family and um, engage what is next known as insane belief. And that takes you to the alchemy aspect, right? So you feel the lack. Then you start to believe that, hey, I'm entering a space where anything's possible. Right. My system and who I am is powerful. And if this is really um, can, can be lined up to be, 
um, then it's going to happen for me. And so you start to engage in the same belief in the process through, the, through, through um, experiencing alchemy, then you engage in same belief and then you bring it to the other polarization that what you believe is going to happen is going to happen no matter what, right? And so what I would say about the insane belief is that sometimes out of all of these steps, and there's one more, that's the hardest one for folks, especially when they're new to ritual and, and, and work, because they, we always push people into experiences. And so it's, it's very hard sometimes to have the insane belief without the experience. And so I would say that the first time you do a spell or a ritual or whatever, you might have to generate that insane belief inside of yourself prematurely before you fully believe it. I would say that the first time I did a ritual, it really worked for me after the fact, but in the middle of it, I remember wavering in my belief of it. And I was like, am I just like talking into the darkness for an hour for no reason? And then I remember I, this is where divination helped me. I pulled a tarot card and I asked like, where am I going with this um, ritual? And I pulled the star card. And for me, that was like my hell yes, you're in the right direction. So I needed like a little boost in my belief the first time. Um, so that's also why we love to share our success stories with these rituals because maybe you can gather some of the insane belief from us and our customers. I've got an email emails full of people that have had extraordinary experiences, instant manifestations with this kind of work. Um, but that's also why we like, that's why it's good like for us to share this, I think with you guys so that you can kind of ride on some of our beliefs. Um, but really if you can get over that hump of insane belief one time, do a successful ritual, you will never have an issue with the belief again, really, because you've had the experience of harnessing and generating your own power and energy, directing it uh, intentionally, and then having it met and, and have it and getting what you, what you, your outcome was. Yeah. I mean, I would say that, that, I mean, I still have problems with insane belief or the concept of it, you know, in my practice, but it isn't near as bad as what it was when I first began. Let's say that because I've had enough experiences to know that I'm powerful enough to get into the ritual and pick my target properly and get behind it with everything that I have and know that my life's going to be that or bust and I can make it happen. I know that from experience, right? Um, and that's one of the things that teaches you, ritual teaches you about power. Spells teach you about power and what you're capable of, what you can hold in this frame, what you can hold in this being and the energy bodies that you have. And so um, <clears throat> that the more experiences you have, the more backs up the insane belief, yes. But really all you have to do is um, start to hold the um, even if you have to act it out and, and act like you believe so much, it's about the energy generated from that belief. That's what it's about. And so you can still be successful in ritual and not believe that it's going to work on some level. Right. But you do have to get a lot of your system on board to generate the energy around it actually happening so that mm -hmm. the, so that the, the reality can be programmed with that mm -hmm. and it can unfold that way. Right. And so that's why insane belief is so important. Um, and then you just move into surrender. And what, what we mean by that is you surrender to your own power. You surrender to your own ability to make things happen through um, a structure like spell work. And you just say, well, you know what? I, I put um, everything I had behind it. 
I know for sure that whatever's going to come of this is going to move me closer to what I wanted out of the spell. And that's all you need to do. You don't need to sit around and think about it a lot and, and um, kind of choke up everything with a lot of desperation, right? It's okay to still have um, like your mind ticking in the background a little bit and going, cause it's, it's normal, right? It's natural for us to say, that spell really work. I wonder, you know, where everything's at in, in the process. You're going to have those thoughts just let them come in and out. Don't hang on to them and concretize them. Um, don't allow them to stay inside and create desperation because desperation will choke the energy out of something you're trying to manifest. I would also add to surrender that part of the process could be, and you might disagree, Brandon, but don't share a lot of your ritual that you've done um, okay. until way after. So the, these stories I'm telling you happened to me like almost a year ago or more, right? Because when you're in that practice of, of waiting out the ritual to kind of come to fruition, I feel like when I discuss it, it gives away some of the energy and it slows down the momentum of what it is that we created. I think that you want to keep it with the energy. You want to keep it close and you want to keep generating the energy, not dispersing the energy. Now, afterwards, and you've like done your ritual and you've had this amazing um, outcome, if you want to share it with people or... Um, stuff like that, I feel like it's already completed. Like that whole cycle is completed and it's fine to share, but um, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't talk much about it. I would, and Brandon, I mean, it's really hard to be married to a master ritualist because like he never tells me anything that he's doing, but it's because he's holding that close. Like he's still, and a lot of the work that he does is now more advanced than what's in the book. And it takes days or months or maybe years to keep tending to the same thing like I do with my ancestor altar. It's been years. Um, so that's another thing as part of the surrender process. It also keeps you from continuing to engage in the, in the what ifs or I hope the hope that it happens, which is like, and so it is. Yeah. And I think that has a, it's another point in energy as well. One of the ways you build energy for the spell and allow it to, to really work is to keep it secret. Um, if you, if imagine having an amazing breakthrough experience in ritual, like, you know, this, this energy entered the room or you built up so much energy in yourself, any number of things, and then not sharing that with a soul that creates a shit ton of energy. I mean, you really build the power and energy by not sharing. I mean, you want to share it with your friend. You want to share it with, with other people that do spell work. You know, you want to, you want to get in the mix and riff about it, you know, and tell other people you had this amazing experience, you know, or, or whatever it may be. And you keep that quiet. The more you want to share it, the more you keep it quiet, it creates this, this dissonance inside that creates this like almost span of energy you know, that, um, that builds and builds and builds until it finally just breaks through and makes the spell happen. And so secrecy is actually a really big part of not only um, surrender, but also building energy. Mm. So on the back end. So those are the five essential elements to ritual that we, that we think these components are necessary to have success. Um, or, or I guess the more of these that you can incorporate into your practice, the more potent it would be. Mm -hmm. um, well, I mean, I guess we wanted to open it up at this point to questions, if you have any that we can field. Uh, does anyone have any questions about any of this topic that we've covered today or other questions regarding uh, your ritual or spell work? I can kick things off with the, fir with the first question, sort of break Sure. Um, when you were talking about the differences between spells and rituals, I sort of thought, um, what advice would you have for someone who's new and trying to figure out 
is this a situation that's appropriate for a spell or should I be looking at rituals? So like discerning between the two, do you have any advice for that? I would say, and I think we should, we both are very different people. So I think it's why it's good that we're doing this. This is what I would say. I would say if you're brand new, the first thing that I would do is start an ancestor altar as a ritual that you tend to on a daily basis. Because I think that there's something to do with the discipline of a spiritual practice that will make your spell work even more powerful. And it helps you engage with and hold energy and relate to the astral on a daily basis. I'm not saying it's necessary. There are plenty of people that, I mean, almost everybody that's ever bought one of our ritual kits before the book has probably not done this step before and it's worked. But I think if you want to become a practitioner, I would incorporate one of the rituals in this book or one of the altars. So there's like wealth or whatever kind of altar you want to make and dedicating yourself to that practice. Then I would say, do you have a specific outcome that you're looking to generate? And if so, like which spell would match that, that outcome? Um, and then I also would recommend oftentimes for a beginner, the road opener ritual, because you can be less specific. It's an opportunity spell. And so say you um, want, you're not sure. Like for me, the first time I did the road opener, I was just stuck and depressed and I didn't even know what I wanted to create, but I needed movement. I needed expansion. And so the, I was writing words like that on the candle. Um, and it busted that stuff wide open. And so I think it's good for like a first timer. Uh, if you're not so specific or you're not exactly sure how to align your desires to such a refined point that the road opener is a great almost catch-all opportunity spell for anybody. Um, and, and I guess that's what I would say to yeah. answer that. What would you say? I would have to say, I totally agree with the assessment. Ah. You know, in another podcast, I, I pointed out that one of the things that sets our book apart from other books is that we focus a lot on ancestral work. And the reason why we do that is for the elements that Kelly talked about. Um, once you really connect to your bloodline, you get a sense of your power. You get a sense that, Hey, I, I am the incarnation of generations and eons of people who have overcome on this planet, you know, and part of my work in this lifetime, part of everybody's work in this lifetime, um, and something that's not discussed in the West is transmuting the bloodline, you know, getting a lot of those generations of alcoholics and abusers and things like that, get it transmuted, you know, in this lifetime with you, like start to unravel that in the DNA. I mean, I, scientists say now that we carry seven generations worth of trauma with us in our DNA. That is a lot, man. That goes well even beyond slavery in America, to put it in context. Like seven generations back is a lot. And so that, that's, that's a long time. And so that's, um, you're inheriting a lot of shit when you're born. And part of your karma in a lifetime, part of your unraveling is to look at that and, and unravel the ancestral aspect. Kelly could tell you that in the healing modality she has with the reunion process that, um, that she does with nations, part one of the biggest things you do is you find the seeding source and oftentimes it's ancestral you find the root of the problem so that you can start to unravel the way it's showing energetically in your life now and so 
Um, it's really important to do ancestral work, and I think it's one of the things that, that puts our book apart. We have depth ancestral work in there and depth ancestral rituals that really help to unravel a lot of that and get you in contact with, with gateways into the bloodline. That's very, very important to do. And usually it's your first base to really understanding power and connection to the astral. It's also something familiar to you. These are dead loved ones that you're connecting to. These aren't like harmful, quote unquote, spirits or whatever. There really isn't any such thing as that for the most part. But um, so a lot of people fear a lot of things about, you know, because of horror films or because of mm -hmm. Christianity or whatever. They fear a lot of things when it comes to spell work. But if you just want to start an ancestral altar, start doing rituals in front of it that are uh, that are specific to that to help unravel and embody your power a lot more. That is a really good place to start. And you start to learn what it is to have an energetic exchange, how to maintain an altar and those things like that. They start to build power in your life. And then doing the road opener. If you just did the road opener that we have in the book or that if you've experienced it as a kit from us, if you just do that once every three months or so um, in a year's time and you did daily ancestral meditation and work, it would completely change your life. It doesn't matter if you, how deep you already are in a practice with yoga or meditation or whatever. This work is completely different. It goes a, a totally different tangent. It starts to unravel you in a way that you've never experienced before. And so that those two things, I agree with her, would be really great places to start. And I just want to be, I don't want to be remiss because I know that there are a lot of people that are probably listening that have um, an aversion to their family line mm -hmm. or who have been maybe adopted and, yeah. and feel disconnected. So I just want to mention that like we did include in this book um, a really powerful ritual that I've done um, that really helps you to heal the ancestral line and heal your relationship to it by acknowledging and experiencing both the light and the dark aspects of that history. Um, because I do think that that's a missing link for many people that have had, you know, if you've been abused by a loved one or you have been neglected or all of those things, sometimes the first step is to sort of try to heal that before you even want to step into um, an ancestor ancestral altar. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to mention that as part of it. Um, that's a really cool ritual. Mm -hmm. It's a yeah, really it's awesome. cool one. Yeah. So just, just to be clear though, you won't be working with anybody that's abused you if you set up an answer. Oh, no, no, you won't. No, 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 yeah, you won't. Yeah, yeah. We see your, um, what, what I love to phrase it as, as your awakened ancestors is mm -hmm. who you're bringing in. But sometimes there's a precursor step that people need to take to help heal their relationship and their psychology around uh, connecting to their uh, ancestral line. Yep. Good stuff. Any other questions? Yeah, that's, thank you for answering that. All of that was super relevant. You hit some top questions there. We have a few more in the chat. We've got one from Catherine that says, should that ancestor altar be separate from your regular altar? Yes, and I love it. Okay, so ancestor altar, and then maybe I can tell a story, but I have so many stories, but ancestor altar, separate from your other altar. You want no living people on your altar if you have pictures, only people from your bloodline who have since, who have already passed. Uh, the best orientation is your northwest corner of a general space. So think about your ancestors as real life relatives. You, they probably wouldn't want to join you in the bedroom or the bathroom. Um, and they would probably enjoy more communal spaces like kitchens, living rooms, dining rooms. So mine is in our dining room. We've got an open floor plan, but it's in the dining room. Uh, and it's, a def it's definitely a separate altar 
um, from anything else that you would do. And I am going to tell my quick story. Okay. So I have this really amazing quick story. I'll make it quick as possible. But, um, so the two people on my ancestor altar are my grandfather and then my paternal grandmother. And over last Christmas, um, my whole family was about 40 minutes away, um, at my sister's in-laws house. And they have like this beautiful house on the golf course and so many bedrooms and all this stuff. And we spent most of our time there. And then out of the blue, my dad got the idea to make this uh, heritage dish for my grandmother called chicken paprikash. It's from our um, Hungarian lineage. And it's become like a spell, like that food. The, the lore in our family is if you feed that dish to someone you want to, that you love, and you feed it to them, they'll marry you. And it's happened like with my sister and my aunt, et cetera, et cetera. Well, long story short, my dad just decided to come to our tiny house indicator to have like 10 people here not just to eat the dinner but to prepare it and we don't have like all the ingredients the pots they literally packed up coolers and backpacks and they truck like we came all the way here and as we were preparing the meal i get emotional every time um i caught a glimpse of my grandmother's picture on my altar in the dining room and I knew for sure that she brought everyone here because this is where her energy is the strongest. And my family is from all over the country. So we're never in the same place. And that she like attracted us to our home so that she could engage in the meal and that holiday festivities. So it's good to have them. I just think it's the most beautiful story. And um, I just love that it's in the general space. And that really proved to me that that's where they want to be. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, that was not directly answering a question, but I love that story. That is such a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. And someone, Kim, in the comments said that's beautiful. Catherine said she loved that story. Oh, good. We've got a few more questions. One of them is one we get all the time. People ask this in the store. They write in on email. So we got to clear this up for people here today and on the podcast. When it comes to offerings, how do you get rid of old offerings properly? Would it affect the ritual if they're just thrown in the trash like candle wax and food? Mainly because what if you're not near a river or a place to bury your old offerings? Go, Brandon. Yeah. I I think one of the best things to do, I mean, in that case is if you don't have a place to bury or you don't have a river to throw it in or or something like that, um, all you have to do is just consciously make sure that you're treating it like an offering when you throw it away. What you want to do is maintain the energetic link that happened from the offering, right? And what's happening is oftentimes when you, when you make an offering, there's a lot of things happening when you make an offering in the astral and in the physical world that you can't see and that you can kind of feel once you get sensitive to all this. But it, what happens is the, the, the um, entities or the, the energies that you're making the offering to, right, and how it's being reflected in the astral, they're actually experiencing that offering. And so, so what's happening there is um, you don't want to throw away, throw it into the trash and allow them to keep on experiencing like the, the trash or, you know, whatever's happening, like they still have an attachment to the offering. And so what you kind of need to do is release that attachment. And you can do that by simply just saying out loud, almost like a prayer. It's like, you know, um, this was, a, the, uh, it can be in your own words, but it can be something along the lines of, you know, um, continue to partake in this offering, I reverently like throw it away, you know, just just a lot of gratitude and things like that and say, you know, you you know, um, I'm throwing it in the trash now, you don't have to stay attached to it. But my gratitude, you know, is still with you and everything's good. Like you what you essentially do is just break the link 
between whatever's attached to that offering and maybe where it's going. You know, if you can't bury it and you can't throw it in the river, cool. Just break the energetic link by telling them, hey, the offering time is up. I'm about to throw this in the trash. You can stick with it if you like, but if you don't, that's cool. Just mm-hmm. letting you know, you know, and, and throw and throwing it away in the trash. Do you say throw it outside, like throw it in the outside trash? I, I don't oh. I just feel like you throw, I don't know. Now what I do is what you're referring to there is I just pour ashes and things like that in our backyard, like in the ground. I just pour them, I pour them out. I can pour them out the front door or the back door or whatever. But if it's, if it's an offering that isn't like food where it'll attract like critters and stuff like that, I'll just throw, throw ashes out my back door or, or whatever it may be. Yeah. We have a lot of ashes in our backyard. <laughs> Every time I do a lunation session, I've got to I've burn the notes. We just have, anyway, what other questions do we have? Somebody, uh, someone asked a follow-up question to that, which is, is it okay burying it in the backyard? Which you sort of answered that, that that's what you do. So the backyard is okay. Yeah, that's um, fine. We've got another question. Let's see. Let me scroll back to it. Benita says, this is a comment, but the road opener was the first ritual that she did. She had no idea what she was doing, but it worked. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we have so many. We have so many people that have that experience. It's so good. It's it's my favorite ritual or spell, I guess, or both. And then Catherine uh, in the comments, she asked, how do you choose whom to connect with on your ancestor altar? Uh, should it include uh, just one person or multiple people? Yeah, we go over that a little bit in the book, but um, in, in my class when I'm, I'm teaching people about the step, um, I take them through a process of just, you know, um, starting oftentimes what we're doing then by the time I, I, we do this, if, if you're already doing ritual or you know how to open circle or do some kind of protection spell, do that on a daily basis for about seven days and get yourself really sensitive and aware of energy and things like that. And then start going through and um, like old um, um, picture books, albums, yeah. Yeah, yeah, old picture albums and, and just start, you know, literally touching the photos and just run your hands over the photos as you go through each page. And when you start that, like trust your body, once you get yourself really sensitive in an altered state. And if you aren't doing ritual opening circle, just do yoga, like really intensely for like an hour before doing this or meditate like really deeply, you know, for a long time before opening up these books and, um, or, or, you know, asking or calling up your mom or dad or, or next to Ken or whoever's alive and asking them to say, Hey, what about, you know, Joe, I kind of feel like, you know, was, was he ever weird? Do you do any witchy stuff or whatever, you know, uncle Joe, you know, so start asking, you know, in the family, like who was weird, you know, like, um, who, who, uh, who hung out and was about psychology or transformation work or something like that, or, or talk to people or counseled them and everybody was drawn to them. Start asking, you know, in the family line, like who stuck out like that. And those are more than likely going to be moving on to be your awakened ancestors and help you with transformation in this lifetime. And so they'd be good to look at and good to try to find pictures about. But as you're looking through the, the picture album, if you're running your fingers over the pictures, just trust your body. If you have like a hit or a stop or you feel like an energy or something like that, when your hand hits a certain photo, follow that. Ask about that person. See what their background is and, and get a good sense and feel for them. And that's typically the way to do it. And I would say a lot of people, like if you have like a deceased grandma, grandpa, or something that you were close to in this lifetime, that's also a very, or parent or whatever, that's also what people choose a lot of the time. For me, 
um, my grandfather that's on there, we were very, very tight. And then my grandmother, I wasn't, but as I developed my mediumship skills or as I was getting readings, she was always showing up in the readings. That's another thing. Like if you get like a mediumship readings sometimes and, and the, the certain people keep on showing up to talk to you, those also might be, they're obviously reaching out and engaging with you. So you could probably put them on there. But I do want to repeat, do not put any photos of any living people on your altar. No. In general, they don't need to be beside dead people anyway. Living people and dead people, as far as photos, that creates some bad juju. And so you'll, you'll want to separate those. Even if you don't maintain an altar, always just keep your, your alive loved ones and your dead loved ones separate in your house. Oh, I as know as that. Photos, yeah. Interesting. Well, it was a grip photo. <laughs> We've got some, okay. Anyway, we'll have to look They're into like, that. Yeah. <laughs> That's that in a moment. It's about maintaining the inner death versus life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, okay. Um, that's beautiful. And I think you hit a good point, which is, you know, when you start asking, you're going to know, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. trust yeah. that like, the name, the image, the energy that comes to you, it happens quickly and undeniably. And Catherine even said, I feel exactly whom to connect with. Hi dad. That's beautiful. Like, yeah. You and you, yeah, for sure. And you don't even have to put anyone on there at first. You can yeah. start this without having a specific person. And then that will, probably bring that person to you. So you just, this is a space for my awakened ancestors and we'll see who steps forward for you. Yeah. And like, if you do a, a ritual, like what we have in the book called uh, opening the gates, um, you don't have to have, you just have an altar or focal point in front of you with, with a candle is all you need for that ritual and water. And, water. and you, you don't have to have any of your, your, um, Loved ones decided that are with you or on your A-team for transformation in this life or whatever. You don't have to decide all that before doing that ritual. That ritual can guide you to those people because yeah, you start sure. you start to really develop a good relationship with your own blood, your own bloodline, your lineage. And then sometimes those people can flash and come to you a lot easier after doing a ritual like that. So That's awesome. And we're almost out of time. We've got one question left in the chat. Sure. I would just get a response to, cause we get it a lot. Um, Gigi says, I keep my altar in the bedroom because I have a roommate. Is that bad? Is it your ancestor altar that you're talking about? I think that's what she's referring to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it, there are some people who keep it in their bedroom. I don't think it's the, the end of the world, but um, maybe manage it a little bit. Like say for instance, the people that I know of that, that are practitioners that have to keep it in their bedroom, they keep it at the foot of their bed, for instance, facing away from the bed. You know, um, one of the reasons why ancestral altars are, uh, they're a funny thing in, in the sense that it, for people who haven't experienced this yet, like what Kelly was saying, like with um, the, the chicken papakash, right? Um, so her um, grandmother on her, on your father's side, mm -hmm. was able to experience this through the anchoring of her energy in that altar. So she's able to have a more visceral experience of the, all the loved ones coming together and, mm -hmm. and feasting. And, and she was able to enjoy that energy and enjoy the, the camaraderie that the family has now that she isn't able to experience because she's not here in the physical form, right? And so when you set it up in your bedroom, right, once again, or the bathroom, um, ancestors experience all of that. And so what you want to do is, is have this almost like privacy between you and your ancestors where they're, they're literally, they're facing away from you while you sleep or, or while you're there with an intimate partner or, or any number of things or, or while you're getting dressed, you know, or something like that. 
Um, once again, it isn't the end of the world if it's in the bedroom. It's better to have it in the bedroom and have it than not yes, to have one. Yes, than not to have one, but just manage it a little differently. If you can set it up at the edge of the bed, that'd be best. Or if maybe you can make like a mini one, like, I mean, really all you need is a candle, a glass of, a glass of water, and like a representation. I mean, yeah, so maybe like, maybe you can put a tiny one somewhere, but I think it's better to have it. Yeah, thank you um, for answering that. Yeah, maybe like a room divider or something you could get for your bedroom. Um, I know sometimes I have a hard time sleeping if I have an altar in my bedroom because there's just a lot of activity if you're sensitive. To yeah. That. So watch out for that too. Um, yep. Yeah, I'd definitely be the roommate who's just like, I'm claiming this corner. Of <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's like, because I have mine in our living room. You can't really tell it's an altar necessarily, you know? Like there's, it just looks like, you know, a little vignette <laughs> um, on the end table. So maybe you can make it match your decor. We have like a nice little amethyst geode behind it or whatever. Um, yeah, that's tricky though in roommate situations for sure. It is. But yeah, like, like I said, if you can work it out to face it away from the bed, that'd be the best idea and still have it. Yeah. Or what about like, I mean, we like to have the candles burning as much as possible. But what about like maybe draping it like a something a drape over if you're gonna have sex or something? Yeah, 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 totally. Like you totally, can probably yeah, put yeah. like a mm -hmm. like a handkerchief over it or something when you're gonna. I don't know. Yeah, I do. <laughs> actually, actually, that works. So putting a veil over the over the ancestor altar when you're in your intimate moments or whatever it may be is actually a good idea. I actually. Um, not so much that I have intimate moments in my ritual room, but sometimes <laughs> when I'm doing stuff in rich, that's where I keep my ancestor altars in my ritual room. And, and sometimes I'm doing things that, that I don't want my ancestors engaged with as, as heavily and things like that. And so I just drape a, um, a sheet over them, you know, sometimes when I'm really like, you know, in the middle of a deep ritual and I don't need their involvement. So, you know, that, that works for sure. Yeah. I love that advice. Yeah, there are definitely times for your altar to be veiled or in mourning. Um, and that's probably mm. a whole other conversation and topic. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you both so much for being here. If you continue to have more questions, and Gigi, I know you're like wavy face emoji spinning about what to do about this ancestral altar, reach out on Instagram, modernmystic underscore shop. If you're listening on the podcast and you had questions come up and you weren't here for the live session, um, one, what are you doing? Come join us on Sundays at 11. Um, if not, reach out on Instagram. Uh, again, modernmystic underscore shop. If you have a question um, and just uh, reach out, I'm sure that Kelly and Brandon would be happy to address your questions. Um, also, think about getting the book because most of the answers are probably in the book. Yeah, they're in there for sure. And join us on our party. Can I, I want to pitch our party. Yeah, absolutely. Tell um, us about it, Kelly. So we're having a virtual uh, book launch event. It's called The Witching Hour. It's a comedic variety show on um, October 7th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We have at least one celebrity cameo. We might have two, which is going to be very cool. It's going to be hilarious. Um, for more information, you can go to modernmysticspells.com. That's the website for the book, so you can buy the book there. You can also click to this event, but it's going to be so hilarious. We're going to have uh, so much fun. We've got musical guests. We've got um, comedians coming on in, in character, roasting each other. Uh, it's going to be a really good time. And then I'm just going to pitch all of our stuff because we've got so much to pitch and maybe you're still listening. So um, I would also want to promote our two things, my lunation session. So every full and new moon, I do a remote group healing. 
Um, and it's so powerful and I think it's the best work that I'm doing right now. So if you want to learn more about that, you can go to modernmysticshop.com and click on experiences and you'll find our lunations, our tarot readings, and then also Brandon's enrolling his spiritual self-mastery class. So if you like the sound of him and you want to be coached and mentored um, into your ritual work, into unprogramming some of your beliefs, and I know some of the people in this room right here have gone through that program, um, it's the fastest way for transformation and, and mastery when it comes to this kind of work. Uh, so on that same page, modernmysticshop.com, click on experiences, you can learn more about that. But we've got so much crazy good stuff. Oh yeah. Last thing, if you're a boss, if you're a person that, um, you know, you know, what a boss is, sorry, entrepreneur, I'm also doing something with um, a three day conference. It's called, um, the intuition or guided by intuition gathering with Emily from being boss. And we're going to teach you all of our tricks and tips. We've got Mecca Woods. We've got uh, Bridget Esselman from Biddy tarot, a lot of other experts that use ritual, magic, tarot, astrology to advance their business. And we're going to tell you how we use all of these metaphysical tools to create um, huge businesses and brands. There's so much. Super cool. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just like pitching all of our things. <laughs> That's awesome. I've got links for everyone in the chat. So if you want to click those and open them in your browser so you can have them saved, uh, again, modernmysticspells.com. Go to modernmysticshop.com and click experiences for those lunation sessions. And then go to beingboss.club forward slash gathering to learn about the event that Kelly's talking about. I think it's like a two day event, right? It's three days and also um, click the link. If you're listening to this after the fact, click the link in the podcast so that I get credit for your enrollment should you enroll. <laughs> if you go to the general link, she doesn't know it came for me. And then it looks like I'm not doing my job. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, well, thank you both for being here today. That was such a wonderful job. Thank you everyone for joining us today. I have to say, Catherine, it was nice to see your face. I have not seen your face in so long because of everything that has gone on in the world. So good to see you. Um, thank you so much for being here. We'll have another pre-recorded podcast or this podcast will come out to next week. Um, we've got a one-to-one -one conversation coming out today. So if you want some more Sunday school, check that out in about an hour. We'll have it live. Um, again, thank you so much for being here. Um, we so Thanks, value guys. everyone. We value our teachers, our bosses, all of those wonderful things. Um, and we'll see you soon. Have a blessed day and take care of yourself. Hi, it's Kelly. As much as I pride myself in being a mystic, I take equal pride in being an entrepreneur. And I love to share how I blended both worlds to create the incredible Modern Mystic brand. So I'm so excited to announce that I am co-hosting the Guided by Intuition Gathering, a virtual event for creative business owners with woo-woo vibes with one of my business besties, Emily Thompson of Being Boss. This virtual event is October 8th through 10th. We are bringing together a top tier of talented business owners who bring their powerful metaphysical tools to the table and are eager to share their tips, tactics, and techniques of growing a business with intuition guiding the way. We're spending three days focusing on aligning your intuition and heart so that you can use it to guide your business towards your highest purpose. We will be hosting panels, keynotes, workshops, and live podcast recordings. 
Plus, there's the Being Boss promise of actionable steps, practical advice, and results-driven guidance. And there's a whole tribe of bosses. They're just there ready to connect, dive deep, and do the work. Sounds great, right? It gets even better. A select number of VIPs get access to the whole gathering, plus an all-day masterminding session on Monday with me and Emily. We will add our magic to what you've got going on to help accelerate and inspire. If this is up your alley, hit the link in the show notes to join us. These are truly skills that all business owners will need to hone to thrive in the new age. I hope to see you there.